couple weeks ago, we talked about the faith of mourning, um, the faith of grieving. And a lot of times we've conflated optimism and faith to be sort of one thing or sort of optimism as a major element of faith or something like that. And I was thinking about how how much we connect with God when we have not that heart of stone that you were talking about. How much we connect with God and his heart for people when those that we're praying for we also mourn for. You know, there's like a deeper... When the boys um, in their, you know, eight, nine, you know, eight, nine-year-old way sat around and prayed for Judah... They prayed out of, A, a belief that God wants them to pray and that there's some something in there that believes that God answers prayer. And then, B, they prayed out of maybe a little sadness, a little fear, a little, like, awareness that this was a serious thing. And I just think, like, I don't know. I just want to give people permission or maybe even an invitation to, like, those that you're walking with that you feel like, and they, they, they're in difficult situation, like, your goal is not to convince yourself to be optimistic about the future of their life. Like, the greatest thing you might can do to pray big prayers of faith is just to have God's heart for them. And when, and when people are living out lives of destruction, like, I'm certain that God is mourning. I'm certain that God is not sitting on his throne trying to convince himself of who he made them to be and trying to figure out how he can get optimistic about their lives. Of course he knows the end from the beginning. I but the same is true for us. Like we we don't we don't need to get optimism. We 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 just need to believe that God answers prayer and and mourn. And so, I don't know. I just felt like I should share that. Um, you know, we've been trying to figure out ways since that conversation, or, you know, at least been reflecting on how, how do we integrate mourning into our, our approach as a, as a spiritual community. Um, but yes, I'm going to talk to you probably briefly. What time? Somebody shout out the time. 11, 11.48. Okay, it's pretty long. That actually works out well. Um, I uh, I don't have a written prepared. I do have some thoughts for you. I don't have a written prepared message for you this morning. And um, I used to like maybe a decade ago. I would have said that very proudly, as if that somehow made me a spiritual person. Um, I'm I'm not even lying, um, but. This particular morning, I just say it as an acknowledgement of where I am. And it makes me feel weak and afraid, not, not powerful. Um, I take very seriously the call to prepare and to pray and to be thoughtful about how we teach and instruct who God is and how we're supposed to live. Should take it seriously. Like I like there's there's quite often I feel the fear of man, like
like I decided to be pastor and and sometimes that scares me <laughs> um, so I'll give you my thoughts and I will reference scripture I was at I was at the hospital Friday night Andrea drove Judah and it was just all happening we, you know I'm getting a, I'm working on an old truck right now that should have running before the end of the year and it's not running right now as I've mentioned a bazillion times I ride a bike and getting to children's medical on a bicycle <laughs> long ride um, and uh, you know we also had the you know the kids there and and so Andrea gets in the car and takes takes Judah and I realized about five or ten minutes later, I don't know, Tiffany was like, You can go. And I was she was like, I gotta stay with the kids. I was like, you know, I probably should go. And so so I ended up going to to the hospital and um it's funny, I don't know, was he was he crying when he came up? He was a little he he came up and was just like, I I think that something happened. You know, it was like very when Judah gets uh, something happens to him, like when we were at the doctor talking to them, it's incredible. I wish I had videoed. They come in and they're about to give him like the IV, and he was like, "So are you going to put that into my arm?" And he's like, "Yes." And he was like, "How does the inside part of that?" He asked like ten questions, and they're so like he just asked question after question after question. So he's very. I feel like when he gets like in very uh, stressful moments, he gets kind of like laser dialed in. And uh, so he just was calmly, he was crying, but he was calmly telling us something had happened. And so we were like, Andrew was like, I think this might be a snake bite. And so we were like looking at it and I was trying to figure out, like, I don't know that. I mean, like, I think I've known one person who got bit by a snake. How many of you know anybody who's been bit by a snake? Uh, one? Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. And uh, so we get, you know, we get this thing, you know, we realize, like, I think it might be a snake bite. And so we drive, he gets in, he gets in the hospital, gets to the hospital, and they're like, yes, it is a snake bite. And, um, and so anyway, Andrew and I are processing what to do, and I'm like realizing, I'm like, oh man, she's got a birthday party. We have like, I don't know, Saturdays when you have three kids, it's just like, this person's going to a cross-country meet, this person's got a soccer, and Eden has soccer and drama. Grace has a cross-country meet in the morning, and then Grace has um, like a birthday party sleepover in the evening. I'm like, man, this is, it is, it's like, you know, we pull out the slide rule every week to figure out the calculus of how to get everyone everywhere. And, um, so I was like, okay, why don't you go home? I'll sleep here. You sleep at home. And so th that's, that's, you know, what we did. And I got there, woke up the next morning, and, you know, the doctors come by, and they're checking on him. They don't give him anti-venom because that's a, he's, his, it's been, it's not exactly a benign thing. The anti-venom's not good for you. And so they don't want to give it to you unless they have to, which I was, I was grateful for, although we have, coverage for this, it's a little bit of a difficulty. The anti-venom, I looked this up, average anti-venom for snakes is like over $100,000. I was like, that does not make any sense. I'll figure that out later, but I'm glad we're not doing it. <laughs> we'll do it if that's what's best, but, you know, I'm grateful. So, 
So anyways, you sit there in the hospital room and like, I think any other time I've been in the hospital, I'm able to like go and walk outside. I realize like, I've got an eight-year-old here. I can't leave this room. So we both just sat there and, you know, you wake up really late and I don't know, we were just hanging out, eating food. And eventually like he wanted to like watch the iPad. We don't watch a lot of screens in our home. And so he watched like a whole bunch of YouTube videos and I'm like sitting there, you know, went to sleep at like one, doctors are waking up every while. So I'm just like sitting there playing like a iPhone game. And like after about like an hour and a half of playing like an iPhone game where you just shoot balls across the screen to break blocks up, I was like, this is probably not the greatest stewardship of time. Um, but you know what I mean? Like you're in a hospital and it's a weird... It's a weird, uh, it's just like you're, everything is thrown off. And so I just realized, like, I'm sitting in here playing this game, and he's over watching this YouTube thing. We're in this room coexisting, but not, um, not um, together. And so I was, like, I was like, hey, let's put down the screen, and let's, let's uh, sit down together. And I've already wasted several hours, like, Let's take, take this opportunity. And so, so I lay on the bed with him, and we get to read um, some Narnia, which we were behind on. And then we just had the sweet moment, you know? I laid on the bed next to him, read a book, and then he got to go back and play some more Nintendo or whatever. But there were a couple things going on in my mind that I want to tie into the brief thoughts this morning is that I had a different imagination of how that weekend was going to play out. It was not going to involve me playing the iPhone game in the hospital room. Um, and, you know, and so I, you know, you kind of like, you just kind of get into the mode. And what I realized was there's Always in the present, in the present moment that we're at, there's always a way where we can partner with God, what God's doing. Always. Always a way. There's always a way where we can check out, and sometimes it's okay. I'm not saying that you should be dialed in 100% of the time, but there's always a way that we can check into what God's doing. And it was reminding me while I was sitting there wasting time that I, like, that I could be having with my son, I first felt bad for all the time that I wasted, but then I thought, oh, I can change right now and do something different with the moment. And It probably, it's probably a sermon we've preached many times, but it's, it's a sermon that you can't preach enough. That God doesn't work in places that we imagine in our future and our past. Or God works here and now. In fact, Jesus says this to the Pharisees when they're trying to figure out how the kingdom of God is going to come about, how like we're going to establish, and he said it's not of observation. He said, nor will they say, see here or see there. 
for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And one of the things that Jesus says often in his ministry was that he would preach the kingdom because the kingdom is at hand. It's, it's Deuteronomy says it like this. He says it's the word, Deuteronomy 30 says the word is not high up in the heavens or across the ocean. It's not hard to get. It's not far away. It's right here. It says, it says both that it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. And I think because often of, of other delusions and other imaginations we have, we miss the faith to partner with what God is doing in the present. How many of you miss that sometimes? And I, I believe that, um, okay, I'm going to go back to Abraham for a minute. I believe that some of this, which we've commented on, but I'm going to comment again, some of this in our faith journey is greatly tied to the way we view the prophetic, which I believe is not the most not the best way to relate to it. And when I mean the prophetic, I don't just mean, I think that people relate to this in a way who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit at all. I think there's, a, like, we all, how many, let me say it like this. How many of you have an imagination about where the future is going for your life? Okay. You have some, you see yourself going somewhere. This is, this is appropriate and reasonable and human, and it's biblical. Like, in Abraham's journey, God told him to leave the land he was going, he was from, and to go to a land that he would, that he would uh, show him. But I want to look at Abram's approach with it. Okay, I'm going to start, as I told you, I don't have prepared thoughts. So I have to figure out where I start. Okay, verse 6 of chapter 12. It says, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem. He's in Canaan, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah, and the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give you this land. And he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to them there. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. And for the famine was severe in the land, it came to pass that when he was close to entering Egypt, he said to his wife, okay, I'm going to stop there. But he, he will just say this. He went to the land that God told him he was leading to. Then, he had, then there was famine, and he went to Egypt. I want to read one more portion of, of Abram's journey. Let me find it. So, so when they come back after the famine, here's what it says. So Abram said to Lot, please, there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. This is Abram speaking to Lot. This is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, and I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. 
that it was well watered and everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Okay, so God gives Abram a word. First word is you're going to leave the land that you're from, father's land. Second word is you're going to go to a place that I'm going to show to you. Here's what happens. He arrives at that place. Almost as soon as he arrives at that place, there's a famine. He has to leave the place and go to Egypt. He comes back. When he comes back to the place that God has promised to him now twice, he looks at Lot and he says, you take your pick of which side. I'll take the other. It's kind of like, it's kind of crazy to think that the final sort of casting of the lot, so to speak, of the promised land that would ultimately be, was a, you pick left or right, I'll take the other. I think that there's something important here to understand, is that Abraham, or Abram at this point, believes deeply in God's word for his life. How many of you believe God does have a present and a future for you? He believed deeply for the future that God had for him. But it's very clear to me that, at least in this moment, Abram was not attached exactly to the outcome of how that future would play out. Like, if you're willing to leave to go to Egypt, if you're willing to come back and let your, let your family member figure out you, you know, you pick first, I'll take second. There wasn't an affection with the outcome. is an affection with God speaking. And I feel like the way that the prophetic, the way that we imagine our future, the way that it needs to be corrected in our minds, in my mind, in all of our minds, is that we need to be less fixated and, and attached to the outcome because the main role of the prophetic is to anchor you appropriately in the present of what God is doing. Like the reason that God gave Abram a word is so that he would leave and act and move as God was calling him. The reason that Israel got a word that they were supposed to go across wilderness and reach a place of promise was so that they would act rightly in the wilderness as God was removing the, the slavery from them. Like The reason that we get prophetic picture of where God is taking us is not so that we spend all day scripting in our minds what it's going to be like. It's so that we obey now. The attachment that we're supposed to have is not endless scripting of what it's going to look like when we reach whatever Canaan we think we have. 
It's the, the attachment that the prophetic is supposed to do is it's supposed to make us aware that God is speaking, that he is leading, so that I can obey now. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying it's here. It's within you. And so I, I just, I have this belief. How many of you have, raise your hand, you have an imagination about where your future is to be? It doesn't even have to be specific. How many of you at times spend hours, script, not hours, but you spend time scripting that in your mind? It's going to be like this, it's going to be like this, it's going to be so perfect. You know where the, you know where every part of everything is going to work out. It's going to be going so good. It's like candy land. How often does that work out in your life? How often does your scripting of God's prophetic future actually play out how you imagine it? I'd love to hear anybody tell me it just like plays out so exactly how I think it's going to. Normally, when I get to wherever God is leading me, it's like, oh, this makes sense, but this did not make sense. You know, that, that's the way it works. And so I just, I have a simple word for for you this morning, is that we need to believe in God's prophetic promise for us, but our attachment needs to be in the obedience of the present. The reason that we're on this, we're kind of in the series of the pilgrimage of faith, the reason that Abraham could arrive at the place that he was called to is because he obeyed in the present moments that God was calling him to obey. He even was so um, aware and flexible that when there was famine in the land that he was led to, what did he do? He left and he went to Egypt. He came back. His attachment was not on the outcome. It was on the presence of God. And I feel like that the prophetic words or imaginations or things that we carry, if they do not appropriately anchor us to the present, if they do not compel me to be more loving today, more merciful today, more pure today, more truthful today, then we have inappropriately aligned ourselves with them. The prophetic is there for you to realize that God is with you and so that you may follow Him rightly. It is not meant for your daydreaming endlessly. There's no evidence of that biblically. How many of you relate more to the daydreaming thing? I do sometimes, to be honest. Like, I imagine that I'm going to, my, my business is going to work out this way, or our ministry, or what, whatever. Like, I have this, this sort of, like, I can get lost in that world, and I can be like, metaphorically speaking, I can be like playing a video game in a room with my son while my son is watching the, you know, YouTube, and I have an opportunity to partner with God right now in front of me. Amen? So, I'll finish with this thought. Um, my favorite, uh, you know, one of, my, one of the, my favorite questions that Jesus asks is 
that we've talked about, I think last year, last summer, we talked about the, the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan asked Jesus the question, how, how is the law fulfilled? Something to that effect. And Jesus is like, well, how do you read it? And he says, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in this moment, I love this. It's a whole nother sermon. I love that in this moment, the great commandment came out of the inquirer of Jesus, not Jesus himself. Jesus actually drew out of him through his question the great commandment. Um, but then the guy gets cheeky with Jesus and he says, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan, he tells the story of two religious people who walk by a beaten man and they don't, um, don't do anything. They walk on the other side of the road and then finally a Samaritan who bandages the man, cares for the man, brings him to an end, does all this stuff. And then Jesus finishes the whole thing with who was a neighbor to the man. And so he doesn't answer the question to him, um, where's your neighbor? He answers, what does a neighbor look like? And one of the great, um, one of the most significant, I think, crippling illusions of our life is that we sh that that's the main question, who is the neighbor? It's like, well, I've got to find the neighbor so I can do something about that. That's not the question. The question is, who is presently available for me to love? Like, Jesus doesn't give him a theological, philosophical answer about who his neighbor is. It's the guy. He tells a story about a man who loved a man who was on the journey that he was already on. He didn't go, God didn't give him a specific vision to go to a specific city. He didn't speak to him and said, all right, son, you're going to take this trip to Jerusalem because I have a mission for you. He just encounters a man as he's walking on the road that he would normally be traveling for the work that he was doing. And on that, as he was going, he loved the man. My encouragement to you, to you this morning is a refocus your relationship with the prophetic that it would allow you to relate in the present. But more particularly, as it relates to the, who you're called to minister to, I would like every person to let go of the question of, well, where is it? And who is it that I'm supposed to minister to? And just look around you. Maybe it's a helpful question, but like there's there are ways in which we ask that question in which we give ourselves a pass of doing anything. Do you know what I'm saying? We're like, oh, I just, you know, like I don't have opportunity around me. If you don't have, if you literally have no one around you, which is not possible in my mind, but if you literally have no one, like if you don't, like then... Ask, then ask the Lord, maybe like, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? But I, I feel like that all of us have this if-then thing with, with ministering to others. If I can get to it, that here, or if I can get to there, or if X can happen, then I will do this. 
And the story, the story that Jesus gives us to exemplify the greatest of commandments is a man who bandages a man on his goings. The, the call is not to figure out who your neighbor is. The call is to become a neighbor. The call is not, it, we, we shouldn't discard God's prophetic word over our lives and what we're becoming. It, we should actually allow it to, for us to be more kingdom right now. So, with that, um, I, I want to pray a quick prayer and draw us to the table. The table is such a great reminder that God is present. He's active here right now in front of us. I'm going to have you close your eyes. And I just want us to take a minute of silence. And I want us to ask, you know, kind of two questions like how maybe the first question is how am I am I over fixated on my future that's the first question and the second question you can just stir these around with the Lord is how are you calling me to be a neighbor now I want us to linger in this silence for just a moment. I want the Lord to remove excuses that we've trapped ourselves in. Lord, I just pray you would just bring a quickening of your spirit in our hearts that we, that we would feel um, we would feel a sense of brokenness sense of grief for those around us you've called us to love. God, that we would stop living in vain imaginations and we would start living in your holy present moment now. Pray that we would just continue to, to believe deeply in your prophetic promise but that it would anchor us here in the now. Lord, let us be reminded of how present you are. And so I pray even as we come and grab the elements that we would be reminded of your sacrifice and that we would enter into that with you. In Jesus' name, you may come. So my belief um, is that so Israel had several different things that they stewarded in their scriptures. They stewarded prophecy, huge amount of the Old Testament is prophecy. They stewarded um, testimonies, huge amount of the Old Testament is testimonies. Where do testimonies happen? In the past. Prophecy happens in the what? Future. They stewarded commandments, which happen right now. I think that both the testimonies, the reminders of what God has done, and the prophetic, that which we look for, we look for God to do a greater work in our own life. We also look for what? The return of Jesus. I think that both those things, the past and the future, are meant to align us with God right now.
And so Jesus, he prepared himself as a meal offering at his death and resurrection. He was is a spotless lamb, which went back to um, the Exodus story that was the provision of God's um, nurturing before they would leave into from deliverance from Pharaoh. But also, like, we await what? We await a marriage supper of the Lamb. But in the middle of that, that past meal that was offered and that future meal we await, we receive a meal. God is so gracious that he gave us elements to take something that is of his kingdom in like a physical way. He gave it to us. We could take it now and not just wait. And so when you take this, be reminded of what Jesus said, that his kingdom is not far away, it's here, it's within you, it's in your heart. And it's, it's a reminder of our call to be like him, not tomorrow, but now. So we lift these elements. God, we thank you that you are such a good and wonderful um, Savior, we thank you, such a good and wonderful Father, and that Spirit, you're your great leader and comforter of us. I pray that you would just dial us so into working with you right now, God, that we would leave every future excuse in the trash heap, and that we would we would see your hand at work here and now. And God, let us let us be reminded that Jesus did the work of healing and forgiving in the here and now. So I pray that you would deepen our conviction. Let us, let us be compelled to action. Um, we bless you, Lord. We thank you that you gave the ultimate sacrifice for our life, for our fullness in you, for our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. You may receive. Well, I'll, I'll leave you maybe with, Je you know, we talked about a couple things, but I'll leave you with Jesus' question. Um, when he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he says, who was, a, who was the neighbor to a man? So maybe rather than asking the, what is the ministry that I'm called to, maybe ask the question, how can I be a neighbor now in the present?